0: at LoveIsrael.org. That's one word, LoveIsrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: The author of Psalm 119 was a very faithful man. And his faithfulness is displayed for us in this psalm by his commitment and obedience to the Word of God. This one loved the instructions of God the law of God, the statutes of God, and the commandments of God. But we see something. We see a very important principle developing out of this psalm, and that is this. Those who walk in obedience with God, they will be persecuted. They will have enemies and opponents. They will suffer, but they will also have a blessed life. And these two things are not in conflict with one another. You can be blessed by God, but still suffer greatly. Because the blessings are God's provision, His supernatural help in difficult times. And be aware of something else. As we are approaching the last days, the end times, and we are, more and more believers are going to suffer persecution. And these places of persecution are going to expand throughout all of the world. Do not think that you can live faithfully and not suffer. Take out your Bible and look with me to Psalm 119. We're now ready for the 11th letter, the letter Chaf. And we're going to see that all these verses that are going to be dealt with today in this section are going to begin with the letter cuff. And notice what he says as we begin. Look with me to Psalm 119 and verse 81. He says, My soul has been put to an end. Now it's a word which means to be finished, over, done. But in this sense, it's almost as defeated. But he has not given up. He knows that as long as he has breath within him, that he has not been ultimately defeated, that still he can overcome. And what does he say? He says, my soul, and many Bibles do not translate the literalness of it, but rather they give an alternative translation which is not literal. For example, I'm looking at the Hebrew, but underneath the Hebrew is modern Hebrew, and there's that word for desiring. Well, certainly he desires God's salvation. It says, my soul, in most of the translations, will say desire for your salvation, the salvation of God. But literally it says my soul has has come to an end for your salvation he's been hoping and hoping and hoping believing but now he says he's at the point of the end he still wants salvation but it's getting rather late for his his well-being and he says for your word i have hoped now we see something we see a correlation or parallelism between two words the words salvation and the word hope now salvation is a victorious word and he says i'm coming to the end if i don't experience salvation your victory and this is what i've hoped for but realize god is able to provide victory For His people not just in this life, but the important thing is is victory after this life We may come to an end a physical end We may die, but that does not mean that victory and salvation and what we have hoped for Is is over and done with that. We're not going to receive it quite the contrary We see victory is for the next life move on to verse 82 He says, my eyes, and we have that same word. My eyes, and again, the modern Hebrew has the word "sophim," which means look for. It's a word of expectation. But when we deal with the literalness of it, it is a word which means to come to an end. And what's the implication? Well, the implication is that he has wept and wept and wept. He has been crying continuously. Due to what he has been suffering. And he's saying simply, my eyes are at the end. There's no more tears to bring forth. And what does he hope for? Well, he hopes for, and it says here, your word. He wants God's revelation. He wants God's instruction. He wants to hear from God about what he should do. And specifically, he says, saying, when you will comfort me. This man is suffering. He wants God to comfort him. He's been pleading for a long time. He's heard nothing. He's experienced nothing. But God has not forsaken him. When we are in the midst of troublesome times, realize God is with us. You know, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is is found in Daniel chapter 3 where these three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were tossed into that fiery furnace. And there with them, and that needs to be understood and emphasized, <laughs> there with them was who? One like the Son of Man, meaning Messiah. So he doesn't abandon us, he doesn't forsake us. We're, we're not left in these things alone. We need to have faith, trust, believe that he is with us. So he says, when will you comfort me? Verse 83. Now he's going to give an image. He's going to use the word node, which is wineskin. And wineskins, they are very susceptible <coughs> excuse me, to fire. And we have this next word, the word ketor. Ketor is like vapors or smoke, and it refers to heat. Usually, and you've seen this if you're grilling outside in the summertime, you can see the heat, the heat vapors uh, rise up from the coals. This is the word that's being used here. So it's synonymous with, with heat. And wineskins and heat don't do well together. And he says, For I was like a wineskin in heat vapors. But nevertheless, what does he say? He says, Your laws I have not forgotten. And the word here, law, chok, means statutes or precepts. It's another word for God's commands. His instructions to humanity. And even though he is withering up, you can't put wineskins in, in heat and expect there not to be damaged to those wineskins. Immediately the wineskins will begin to respond to that heat in an adverse way. And that's what's happening to him. He is suffering. He is arriving at his end. But he says, Your statutes, your laws... I have not forgotten. Verse 84. Comma, which means how many. In this case, how long are the days of your servant? Meaning, how long do I have to go through such pain, suffering, persecution? And in a few minutes, we'll see that word that testifies, that reveals that in the midst of this this plight that he is in, he is being persecuted again. Verse 84, how long are the days of your servant? When will you make or act or do? And the word is mishpat. When are you going to make judgment for who? Well, notice that that next to last word in verse 84, when I am being persecuted. When are you going to make judgment for the ones who are persecuting me? That's what he wants to know. He's been persecuted time in and time out over and over. He wants to be comforted. He wants God to help. He wants judgment. God to vindicate him. But he's experiencing none of this. Now, in the next verse, verse 85, we're going to see what the objective of the enemy is. The enemy just doesn't want to afflict him or bother him. We're going to see a word that speaks about death. And it's really the pit for those who are dead. They want him, and it's a word of of punishment. They want him to experience punishment. The punishment of death. So look carefully, verse 85. The subject here is that word we talked about last week, the word zadim. Zadim, those who are willfully rebellious against God's will. They know what is the right thing to do, but they're not willing to do it. They are evil, they are wicked, they know what is evil and wicked, and they choose that rejecting what is good and proper. So he says, the rebellious ones, the wicked ones, those that are sinning, with intent, they dig for me, and we have this next word, shichot. Shichot from the word for pits. And again, this word relates to him being trapped, being captured, and the purpose here is for his death. And he says, which their activity is not according to your Torah, your law. So again, very clear. They are in defiance of the law of God. Now, we've learned something. We know that when Moses places the Torah before the children of Israel, the Torah relates to life and blessing or death and curse. This man has embraced the law of God. He agrees with the law of God. His life is based upon what the commandments of the law are. But nevertheless, he says, what's happening to me is not according to your law. What they're doing is not obeying the law. That's obvious because they're zadim; They are willful transgressors. This is what it's saying here. Verse, Verse 86. All your commandments. Now this is a great statement because he is experiencing hardship. He is experiencing affliction, trouble, persecution. But these experiences have not changed him from from his view that the Torah is good and pure and holy and righteous. At least that's what Paul says concerning the Torah in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 7. He says, look again. All, and I want to emphasize that, that is a word in the emphatic. All your commandments are what? Emuna. faithful. So, every one of God's commandments relates to faith. When we apply the law of God to our life, all of His commandments, we are displaying faithfulness. Now, I realize for many believers, this is a paradigm shift for them. Because they have been taught and they have embraced the law is no longer relevant. The law is no longer good. The law is burdensome. The law is death. The law is punishment. Well, that is true for the non-believer. But through redemption, the law becomes available to us through this redemption, through this new life. Through the Spirit of God, we now can apply the law to our life with faith. Faith is not against the law of God. Faith allows us to live in a way when we walk by faith in the Spirit that we fulfill the righteousness of the law. So he says, all of your commandments are faithful and false, that is, in falsehood. Living a life that is false against the truth. It says, they persecute me. Now, this word for persecuting also relates to to pursuing after. It is a word of attack. Those who are persecuted, they are suffering. So, again, over and over when we look at at this verse, we see a faithful one embracing the word of God, the revelation of God, the truth of God. Acknowledging that God is faithful and his word is true. And therefore, faithfulness demands that we submit to his word, his law, his commandments, his instructions, his precepts, his statutes. He's doing that. And what's happening? He is being persecuted. He is suffering greatly. And therefore, he says, falsely, they persecute me. And then notice how verse verse 86 ends. Azraini. What's that? Help me. Now, the implication I prepared for this this time of teaching, and looking at one of the rabbinical commentators, they said this. He says, help me. And, of course, he addresses that to God because he knows something. There's no one else that he can turn to. He feels utterly alone. So he doesn't say, send an angel. He doesn't say, do this. He says simply, God, oh God, help me, is the implication. Help me. Verse verse 87. He says, Kimat, which means almost, almost, they have finished me. It's the third time this word has appeared. This word for bringing to an end, bringing something to the state of being over and done with. It's the word that we saw at the beginning of of verse 81. It's the same word that begins verse 82. We see this over and over in this passage of Scripture, this section of Psalm 119, and again it appears, and it says, Almost they have finished me in the land. Now, ba'arz can mean in the land that he resides in or in the world. It could be pointing to the fact that he feels as though the world is against him. And he says, but, a very important word, va, in this case. See, in modern Hebrew, we have the word aval. Aval means but. However, in the Hebrew of the Tanakh, meaning the Hebrew of the scriptures, we don't have that word avow. And therefore, the word and sometimes carries with it. It's a conjunction. It's a, a very popular conjunction used all the time. And sometimes we should understand it with the word but. And he says, even though I'm almost at my end in this world, he says, but I have not forsaken. I have not left. I have not abandoned your orders. And again, we talked about this word last week. Pikuda, a order that is usually verbal. It is an order that usually comes from someone of greater military rank to someone who is of lesser rank. And therefore, this word for order implies instruction that requires submissiveness. And let me just simply say, All, and I want to emphasize that, all of God's instruction requires submissiveness. You will never ever regret submitting to the Lord. And I can promise you, you will regret any time in your life that you rebel and fail to submit to God's authority. Recognize, in fact, that's one of the ways that we make wise decisions, that we exercise discernment in our life. We, we ask ourselves when we have a decision to make, when we're in some time of, of decision, how, God, do you want me to submit to you? How can I recognize and have a witness, a testimony to others that I am under your authority? This is the right place to be under the authority of God, because when you make decisions and you behave demonstrating God's authority over your life, those decisions and those actions are going to move you into God's will. So we just don't stumble upon the will of God. We're not in the will of God just because of where we happen to be. It is through submissiveness to the instructions of God that that submissiveness, that recognizing God's authority, brings us into the will of God. And only then are we able to serve God, knowing what His will, His personal will is for my life. So He says, But I have not abandoned or left your orders. Last verse, verse 88. Now, we see something. We see again this word chesed, which is the Hebrew word, which is best translated grace. And we see an Old Testament principle that is certainly taught in the New Testament, and that is the relationship between grace and life. Let me say it this way. You will never experience the life that God wants you to have. Until you have first experienced his grace and that grace is leading your life. I've shared many, many, many times that there is an inherent relationship between grace and the will of God. God gives us grace in order that we can enter into his will. So he says here, according to your grace, he says, make me alive. So grace gives us new life. Now, he's alive, but it's only through the grace of God that he can experience this new life, this kingdom life, this covenantal life. So, according to your grace, make me alive. Now, let's pause for a moment and ask a question. What are you living for? Now, I've asked people that question, and you get a variety of answers. You will have sometimes parents saying, I am living right now for my children, that I can provide for them, that I can educate them, that I can, can can give them the things that they need so that they can have a good life. That's kind of a sacrificial way for, for adults to be living, sacrificing themselves for their children, a good thing. But are they teaching their children the truth of God? I I, I know parents that are willing to make Many sacrifices. Take the wealth that they have and and pass it on directly to their children and their needs. But if you're not doing that, at the same time with teaching them the Word of God, you're going to find that all of that investment that you make in your children because you sincerely love them and want the best for them, all that money is going to be wasted. Why? Because they're not going to be godly stewards of what that, that those finances can provide for them if they don't know the truth of God and are living according to that truth. So, why are you living? For what reason? Well, we're going to have, when we look at the last three words of, of this passage, this section of Psalm 119, we're going to get the answer where it says, Ve'esh Merah, which means, and I will keep. Now, that's just one word in Hebrew. I will keep dut that is testimony, the testimony of my mouth, the third word, picha, I will keep the testimony of my mouth. Now, what do you think he means here? Well, he's talking about the fact that he is going to keep the testimony, what he's been, been teaching, what he's been sharing with others, what, has been, what he has been speaking about, which is the law of God, the statutes of God, the precepts of God, the commandments of God. He says, I'm going to keep the testimony of my mouth. I'm not going to change anything in spite of the fact that I'm being persecuted, that I'm suffering, that I'm reaching the end of my life and I had not seen God's uh, uh, miraculous faithfulness and His power and His deliverance, His salvation in my life. Nevertheless, I'm not going to change. What is this speaking of? This is speaking about an individual that, that knows how to make a commitment to the Lord. What he's saying is this. I am not going to allow any of my life experiences to change my commitment to your word, to your truth, to God, in other words. Don't allow circumstances... To change your, your faith, your theology. We base our, our beliefs, the doctrines of our life, the decisions that we make upon this book. And don't allow what you're experiencing to change any of those, those biblical philosophies of life. In the end, we will not regret obeying God. We will not be upset that we we walked under His authority. In fact, quite the contrary. We're going to be praising God for all of eternity for the fact that we have submitted to His revelation, applied His truth to our life, received that gospel, and lived as servants to our Lord and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus Christ. We'll never regret that. And we are going to see the kingdom benefits, let me say that differently, the kingdom promises, the kingdom kingdom blessings that are going to come from all of that faithfulness. Don't be an individual that has to receive things now. Why? Well, whatever God bestows upon you in this world, it's temporary. But those kingdom blessings, those kingdom promises are eternal. So wisdom would lead us to do this, to say, God, how you want to bless me, I prefer that you don't in this life. And you wait until the life to come, that kingdom life, when I enter into your eternity, your eternal kingdom. Those blessings are forever. Those blessings are more powerful, they're more distinct than whatever we can receive in this world because these, these world blessings are usually physical, they're of course temporal, and we are not in the condition that we can experience them in the fullness like we will be able to in the kingdom of God. So don't allow these present day sufferings and hardships, persecutions, sometimes even tragedy. To turn you away from the truth of God. To turn you away from walking under His authority. Recognizing His authority in your life is the wisest thing that you can do. I'll close with that. Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Shalom from Israel.